0: Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson.
1: And I'm Livia Sneddon. Uh Some of you may have been expecting to hear our review for 1Q84 this week, but uh, we had an interesting opportunity come up to talk about something else, and quite honestly, putting off um, a review on that book for another week is not necessarily a bad thing. So this week, we are going to talk about... Um, it. it I don't know that this is actually the title but we're we're going to refer to it as Out of Bullets Throw the Gun. Um a crime fiction challenge that was set forth by Pablo Distare to the crime author community. Um we mentioned it uh, a little bit at the end of the our year in review episode. Um and that's up live now for people. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this evening and have Pablo on to um you know defend his uh, his side of this. So a little bit about the contest itself. Pablo Distare
0: um Threw down a challenge to crime noir writers, um, specifically in regards to flash fiction. And um, he basically said crime noir authors could submit flash fiction pieces uh, of various length and, you know, with all the time that they, you know, wanted to to have, you know, created these stories. And then he, in turn, would match the number of Mm -hmm. stories and approximate length of the stories. Uh, with his
1: the same number of stories that he wrote within an eight hour period. So either Pablo de Stere is one fantastic author or just a really, really ballsy guy, apparently. When <laughs> so I go through the list of, uh, and this is right from the website, there are 12 authors listed as uh, in the Challenger section. So I'm going to scroll right down through this and read it for you guys. It's uh, W.D. County, also known as Dave, Nigel Bird, R. Thomas Brown, Thomas Pluck, Mike Miner. Chris Radigan, Veronica Marie Lewis Shaw. That's one name. Kay George, Jim Harrington, Darren Sant, McDroll, and AJ Hayes are uh, the 12 authors listed as challengers on the website. And, um,
0: so as of now, uh, as of actually, I believe December 29th, according to the, the website, both of the collections are complete. So all these, these crime noir authors submitted their flash fiction stories, um, and Pablo also has gone through the process of writing his his um, collection that he's putting up against it, uh, and, and voting has begun. So uh, we'll give you information about how to, how to participate in this, but essentially voting is going on between December 29th and the end of this month, January
1: 31st. Um, that's when the voting is open. The contest goes like this. It's available uh, for free on Smashwords. You'll find the link on our, on our uh, page for this episode. So you vote between collection A and collection B. Um, If uh, Pablo's collection wins, uh, then uh, he just wins and has proven his point. Um, If the challenger collection wins, now everybody who votes also has to pick their top three favorite stories from the collection they voted for. Uh, First prize is 100 U.S. dollars to the, the number one voted story by the readers. Uh, Second prize is $75, and third prize is $50. So uh, Pablo actually went into his own pocket for this challenge, too. So if he loses, uh, it's not just a little bit of uh, a pride on the line. There's some cold, hard cash there, too.
0: Mm -hmm. The whole idea, actually, which is kind of cool, is that he wants to get as many people as possible to participate in this, uh, in the voting process, um, just so that it's not just a handful of, you know, his writer friends or anything. He really wants... To get a good sample of, of, of people reading these and, and voting to see, you know, because it just gives better, you know, more accurate results and realistically kind of all that input helps out. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be giving all the information information. Uh, we're going to be promoting it on Facebook, we're going to be promoting it on Booked, the, the website, um, and we'll probably give you a little bit more of that information uh, when we wrap up our conversation about this, uh, so that anybody that's listening can uh, not only participate, but then you know, spread the word about this too, because uh, it, it's a really, <laughs> it's a cool idea, but also it's, you know, it's a couple of free
1: collections of stories, you know, it's free, it's, it's free, free stuff. It is free, and I think it's a really, really cool concept, too. I mean, you know, so many times we just read stuff just for reading it, and we actually get to kind of be participants, so um, a special thank you to Caleb Ross, who brought this to our attention and asked us if we wanted to be um, just, you know, just readers and voters on it, and, you know, we kind of uh, talked it over and decided it was cool enough to, to devote a good portion of an episode, too, so tonight we're just going to talk about a couple of the stories that we like. We've read uh, not quite half of them yet. Um, we've read uh, the first five stories from each collection, and we're going to um, each talk about two, maybe three, whatever, of, of our favorites so far.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So do you want to do some talking about these, uh, these stories?
1: I would love to. Uh, I'm going to lead off with what I found to be the strongest story um, of the ten that we read. Um, and oddly enough, I thought it was an okay story when I read it, but the story kind of sat with me over over a period of a couple of days, and the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. And this is uh, the, opening, um, the opening story to Collection B. It's called Scary Story to Tell in the Dark, number 684. And it's kind of a spin on that, uh, that very traditional the, the killer is calling from inside the house um, kind of story. Was, what was that? Do you remember what that movie was called? It said Don't Answer the Phone
0: that's I don't know, I'm yeah
1: yeah, I thought of that kind of urban legend story um and it's about a woman who starts receiving these uh these bizarre um, calls on her cell phone yeah um
0: that actually that actually made it on my list too of of the from the ten that we read of the ones that i would I would consider notable, and again in the you know short space of time it it really amps up the suspense and really just kind of the weird in a way so it was
1: yeah, one of the ones that I liked the best it was definitely an odd one and like I said it was just weird because I read it and I was like oh this was okay and like I said you, know, you and I were talking the more and more I thought about it I really like that story so congratulations to one of the you know 15 authors that wrote that
0: mm-hmm. um, I'm going to go ahead with uh, because that was one of my ones that I want to talk about I'm going to go ahead with another one uh, it's the fourth story from collection A and it's called Voices it's basically about a, a schizophrenic uh, dude. I'm, you know, who who kinda lives with his mom and everything and she's got a really kind of douchebag boyfriend and things get a little crazy. I thought it was uh, uh it was simple, but it was good it was good.
1: Yeah, it was written in a, in a I in like that one too. It was written in a really weird way where it was um I don't even know what it's called, where it put you as the um, protagonist in the story you go to the kitchen kind yeah. of thing mm-hmm. so you know it was uh it was kind of interesting and uh, added that extra element of the you know the extra character that's inside your head not an actual character in the story
0: yeah because it kind of made you feel schizophrenic mm-hmm. yeah it was done very well too
1: my other one i picked um was from collection number one it was the uh, third story it's called one more night and it's uh Protagonist visits a woman from his past that he went to uh, high school with as he's kind of reliving um, his, his love for this woman. They've never been together, apparently, and there's something a little bit wrong with him. I'm guessing he's a little disturbed or, or whatever, but he, uh, he basically visits her at her home, and uh, you know some craziness ensues from there.
0: And a lot of talk about Phil Collins for such a short well, and story. That's,
1: and, you know I was hoping <laughs> you wouldn't bring that up, because that's why I picked it as one of my favorites, It's just <laughs> Phil Collins, man. I mean, what else do you have to say? So. Well,
0: I'll tell you, if Phil Collins visited me, the end of the story would be pretty much the same, or that situation would be pretty much the same as the <laughs> end of the story. I'm
1: not much of a Phil Collins fan. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was, yeah, for a short, short space. You know, the one thing we didn't mention, I guess, is the actual the length of the stories. Um, they're allowed to be between 200 and 2,000 words, and they do vary from, one of them, God, was probably close to 200 words. Um, yeah, one so of them had to just squeak over 200 so what's your other What's your other story you want to talk about?
0: Well, my other one was The Scary Story to Tell in Dark Number 684, uh, which Livius mentioned. Um, otherwise, there is an interesting story called Six Questions for Ezekiel Cask, Who Killed Children, which, um, while I liked the idea and I liked the way it was going, it kind of lost me at the end. It was just a little bit kind of like a, huh, you know, instead of eh, a satisfactory end. And I don't know if that was the... Uh, the intent of the author or not but I thought it was cool uh, and just wasn't expecting the ending I guess
1: yeah and it's funny that you put it that way because I A thought that was my favorite title of the 10 books that we've uh, the the 10 (laughs) stories that we read but um, yeah I just you know not to give anything away it was just terribly anticlimactic which sucks unless that was the author's intention which I'm guessing it is like there's a whole lot of build up and that's kind of how real life is sometimes I mean you're with this guy and I'm going to talk about that one a little more, I guess. It's, um, a serial killer specifically um, asks for this particular person to just ask him six questions. That's his demand in exchange for giving information on these um, children that they're still missing and, and you know, presumed dead. And uh, so it's this guy has no idea why the serial killer wants him specifically to ask these questions. I mean, it really draws you into the story. And,
0: yeah, and it... it it sets you up to want to figure out or like to watch how the pieces get, you know, you know, put together and everything. So it does, it does the job of making you curious really well. And then the ending just kind of was like, Hmm. Yeah. I don't know how else to like without completely spoiling it. <laughs> no,
1: that's yeah. So we'll say this Um, so far in the lead for me for best title, six questions for Ezekiel Kask who killed children.
0: Mm hmm.
1: So yeah, we read
0: ten stories, and that's just kind of a, a snapshot of the kinds of things you can expect. I can one thing I would say is that it's it's very um, what's the word I'm thinking of, Livius? Crimey. It's well, obviously, well, <laughs> yes, it's very crimey, but it's it's not like it's all like you know uh, the same kind of thing. There's a lot of variety, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, not only in, in in how big the stories are, but you know the type of some of them, feel a little southern some of them you know feel a little bit more classical crime so it's an interesting mix and and with a collection situation like this i mean obviously it, it was it's you know obviously it was pulled together quickly so it feels a little you know kind of all over the
1: place but interesting stuff Hey, you know, I keep, and I go back and forth, like, you know, I read, I read a couple of stories and I was like, oh, I could totally pick that this is the same guy writing them, and then something happens that totally throws me off. So at this point, I don't even have um, an inkling of which um, which of those stories, which collection was written by Pablo versus, you know, the masses. And every time I think I do, I wind up changing my mind.
0: I'm kind of with you. Like, like you said, we're only about halfway through the collections, um, and you would think that there was an obvious choice between the two but he i maybe he set out to kind of mask himself with different voices and stuff whatever he did so far i can't really tell who's who but um yeah we'll see because i was trying to look for similarities
1: and so far i'm kind of coming up empty-handed yeah that's what i felt about too yeah you'd think he'd want to and i don't see that's the whole thing i don't know i mean. The contest like this if he actually wrote in just his own voice and it was kind of apparent they were all written by one people may vote against him just because he's the one giving away or setting out the challenge I don't know so I mean the smart move would be to purposely write in you know as varied a style as you could just so nobody knows it's you
0: mm-hmm. yeah the smart move would be if you wrote one of the ones and you're not Pablo would be to tell your uh, your friends to vote on on your stories <laughs> There you go. Or just sign one of your stories, Pablo. (laughs) So that's a little bit of, yeah, of, of, of what the stories are going to be like and everything. And we definitely suggest that everybody who's listening, give it a shot and, uh, and read them and and participating in the voting because it seems like it'd be something that's really fun.
1: I'm actually really curious too, to see, um, you know, you had mentioned it's going to be interesting to see how you and I come out on this and what we vote for. Um, you know, both for the collections or for the three individual stories. Yeah, I'm really curious on how our listeners um, who actually take us up on this are going to vote. So, guys, come to our Facebook page. I mean, send in your votes. You know, pick it up at Smashwords. It's free. You can literally read it on just about any device or your computer. Um, you know, the longest story, 2,000 words. So, I mean, it's not going to take you a whole long time either to read this on your phone or your computer if you don't have a Kindle or Nook. Um, and then come to our Facebook page, and uh, after you cast your vote with Pablo, um, cast your vote with us. We'd love to see uh, where you guys came in. at. maybe we could, uh, maybe Rob could do another spreadsheet and grid out where our listeners came in um, versus us. <laughs> yeah, one one of the collections, Collection
0: A, is fifty one pages, and the other one's forty three. It's not a huge time commitment or anything like that. Uh, and you could participate in something fun. We'll we'll it's we're gonna be plastering it everywhere because we really think it's an interesting idea yeah
1: you've got till the end of the month um so you've still got you know three weeks two and a half weeks or whatever to get through it and it's uh i'm looking forward to finishing it and casting my vote yeah, absolutely that's so america you're required to vote isn't that how it works
0: don't get started don't get me started on that All right. okay so that's a little bit about uh you know our perspective of this whole uh out of bullets throw the gun uh, crime noir flash fiction contest that pablo just uh, uh cooked up but um we actually got a chance to have pablo come on and talk to us a little bit so uh we're gonna bring him on and you can hear a little bit about what he feels about it
1: pablo thanks for taking the time to come on to booked to talk to us this evening
2: yeah my pleasure
0: okay so to get things kicked off how about you just kind of tell us what uh motivated you to issue this challenge
2: Okay, uh, well, the initial challenge which um, this, this spawned from was actually out of probably an unfounded and unphilosophically sound anger toward literary flash fiction. I got in a bad mood about something one night and sent a sort of harshly worded, impulsive email basically to just my entire inbox um, where I made the initial claim. That I could write a better flash fiction collection in eight hours than anybody else could in any amount of time, <laughs> and I only meant literary flash fiction that's where my um that's where my real real beef was and um, I got some people that were very supportive or some people that know me and just thought I was probably being a dick and uh, you know in a good way, just a humorous dick and then a lot of very angry people and I really tried to get the the challenge going with literary flash but the, the writers that write that sort of thing that got back to me, at first they seemed like they wanted to challenge me, and then they sort of bowed out. Um, I would say pussied out, but I'm, I'm a, mean, <laughs> a mean person. They wrote very harshly worded things toward me and didn't want to do it. But um, I'm also in uh, good graces with a lot of crime writers, both in the U.S. and the U.K., who were just tremendous folks, and they were all super enthusiastic about it. And so though I don't really have that much of, of beef with crime flash fiction, I don't even know exactly why it's called flash fiction other than it's short in those circles. I just really wanted to see if I could uh, write the collection in eight hours. And since they were willing to throw down, I put up my money. And uh, that pretty much brings us to where we are. So the, uh, the, the crime challenge wasn't as mean-spirited as the literary challenge. And if anybody still wants to challenge me, with literary flash, I'm still game. <laughs> we
1: we mentioned that it was kind of a a ballsy challenge. um What was the worst feedback you got regarding it?
2: Oh, about the well, i about the crime one, I didn't get anything bad. About the initial one, there uh, there was vulgar. I don't want to name any names. Uh, a lot of people said that. You know this or that i'm an asshole i'm this a lot of people sort of like low blowed me because i put out all of my own uh my own writing i also publish other people but you know just trying to grab attention (laughs) trying to be a mooch trying to just you know um fuck with stuff that's really important to people and i should grow up and i should you know get a life or get a hobby etc etc that (laughs) a lot of them were nastier but um I don't have them up in front of me right now, but I'm I'm sure I just pressed a button with some of these people. Um, it didn't seem to take them that long to come up with more than 250 really mean-spirited words to me, though. So uh, <laughs> maybe they should bring that into their uh, their literature. The, the <laughs> that's, the maybe that's so.
1: Maybe that should be your next challenge: just hate emails. Who can write the best hate
2: email? <laughs> I, I should I should publish like a little little collection of these, uh, just as uh, a flash fiction collection. Actually, put it out that way.
1: It's
0: like a literary flame war.
2: Exactly. So, but um, the, the, the crime folks were all very nice. I think I, I saw a few things because I spy on uh, Twitter. I think a few people thought I was an asshole. Um, but I don't want to say who because I don't want to come off as a Twitter stalker. Um, even though I guess I just admitted that I am. <laughs> but uh, I saw a few people sort of thinking that I was just being a, a twerp about it. But that's okay. Um, with, the, with the crime people I really pretty much thought I was just going to get my ass handed to me because I don't really write short fiction very often if at all and they do it all the time and folks like Nigel Bird and a lot of these uh, people that I'm up against do it all the time and are quite good at it so I just did it to be uh, to be brazen but I, I still might win which would be awesome
0: cool so getting into kind of the thoughts on, on flash fiction in general I listened to uh, that episode of the Velvet Podcast, you talk to Caleb Ross and stuff, and, and for me, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of, well, really any kind of short form of fiction um, and, and, like, I guess the literary content or value that, that is is possible um, is that six-word Hemingway story that I'm sure everybody knows, that for sale baby shoes never worn. And, and like, so for that kind of thing, because that's kind of, like, one of the the most prominent examples at least that I've seen, how does that fit into what your feelings are about flash fiction in general, like something like that
2: um well yeah with i i think I tried to i I probably meandered a lot with uh Caleb that um not everything that's short or even hyper short i i is what i mean by flash fiction i mean i i'm fine with short pieces i can think of pieces by beckett that are quite short by patricia highsmith that i adore um and even the crime writers that i'm up against i i I don't designate it just as word count what made me um and i guess this goes back to the first question too it's when too much is um tried to be made out of like the short words as though, because there are fewer words and it does something that somehow intrinsically makes it more as though of those same six words by Hemingway were merely part of something else. They somehow intrinsically lose value, which I think is uh, just not so. So, I mean, if somebody writes a nice short piece, it could have a lot of power. Somebody could make a very good sentence, but I don't think, merely because somebody says i want to do this in a short amount of time it infuses it with anything more than that same amount of space or words or concentration in a larger work and to me there seems to be a philosophical thrust Uh, obviously not everybody thinks the same thing but among the flash writers that i was sort of annoyed with that there actually is because they spend a lot of time and they just want to do it in 200 words or 500 words. That there, that brings something else to it, and I don't think that's so. I think the Hemingway piece is what the Hemingway piece is. Um, the hand by Patricia Highsmith is what it is. Um, beautiful, beautiful little things, but not more than what they are, merely because they're short. Um, I think that's uh, chop logic, sort of charlatanism. Um which is not going to make me any which is not going to make me any more friends. So, and and you're right the the silence of you two doing things after each answer is now disconcerting. Me. So
0: well uh, I guess so so essentially what you're saying is it has to be judged in its own merit. Uh, it doesn't get any kind of special consideration just because they they did such a they did what they did in such a small amount of space but um, isn't there doing,
2: do, doing it in a small amount of space? Isn't that it, to me? That's not a thing. You, <laughs> you, just, you decided to write for 300 words. You wrote nice for 300 words. It could be beautiful. It could be great. Um, but it is. Yeah. It's 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 there's nothing um mystical or transcendent about deciding to do that. Um, and then about um, and I guess what gets me more is somebody writes something in a short amount of time and then they tinker with it and tinker with it and tinker with it as though they, like... And I think that it gets a little bit... um, a little bit nonsensical to say that uh, they're worried about the 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 rhythmic nature of the words and this and that and the exact word choice as though something's going to blossom something quote-unquote larger out of it instead of just saying... I wrote a short piece and it's a short piece. There's no magic in editing it. There's no magic in choosing this word over that word. And um, I think a lot of people get so caught up in that, that it's become a a faux philosophy, which um, just, it just bugs me.
1: I've actually read quite a bit about that being said about longer fiction too, about things like rhythm and word choice as well too, where it's. Um,
2: sure, sure. Absolutely. Worth, and, um, yeah. and as I said with, uh, I think I said with Caleb, or I said somewhere. Maybe it was on a message board. Um, long, Um Just merely because there's more words doesn't mean it talks about more subject matter. Less words doesn't mean it talks about less. I mean, there's... I, I'm not necessarily trying to say that a novel will... Like, the shittiest novel is better than the worst flash fiction piece. It's uh, more the, the, the philosophical thrust, which I, I don't like it when people... If I wrote a million word novel and i said merely because it's that long it carries something intrinsically with it i would probably issue the same challenge except i'm not going to sit around and write a million word novel to you know, <laughs> challenge somebody into that
1: okay so if your collection is voted better than the um the other collection what uh, what statement does that make personally for you
2: <laughs> yeah well with the with the crime thing i don't actually know what statement that it makes um <laughs> I would have gotten a lot more satisfaction out of the literary thing. I would have just uh, gone around and pissed in people's faces for a while. Than a obnoxious, <laughs> obnoxious person. With the crime thing, because um, I like short fiction. I like short crime fiction. It's basically just... um. Who's telling, in the opinion of these this many people that raises their hand, the cooler little story? Um, th- this is more, I think, just about a challenge for me. I'd like to see if the stuff that came out from the top of my head in eight hours, uh, people enjoy. Um, so I, I actually, in a sense, I don't think I'm gonna win. Part of me hopes that I don't win because I think I might be oddly let down if I do. <laughs> <laughs> um because uh, i i really don't know what that would mean um because it's it's so much just um for entertainment's sake for the the stories uh mine they don't have anything deep to them as much as i enjoy the stories in the other collection other than being superficially very nice and cool and i dig on some of them more than others um there, there's not that much philosophically at stake for me so um i don't want to lose my money of course
1: i say there's some walking around cash at stake that's that's what's at stake
2: there is yeah because well that i wanted to it's good to have a little (laughs) carrot to dangle to get people to to bring their best i will teaser right now that whether i win or lose especially if i win because people might want my blood um i definitely will do a round two and i will raise the stakes the other people there'll be uh probably five hundred dollars worth of prize money floating around and i will still get nothing if i win
0: yeah that was gonna be my next question was regardless of how this turns out is it i guess you might not be able to answer that until afterwards but it sounds like you're kind of prepared to do more of this or kind of explore the idea more
2: yeah i i sort of think that i I'd, I'd have to do it one time one just on the uh the superficial or technical aspects of getting it together the first time it was very spur of the moment and um really had to go off to nigel bird and caleb very much for helping orchestrate getting it together because i was just getting angry emails all the time but they convinced <laughs> writers to submit and do that sort of thing but it was i mean i think i sent the first angry email off one week and then was starting the contest a week and a half later so it was very quick and we're trying to get um I feel like I'm really trying to figure out how to get people to to vote. We've had lots of downloads. Lots of people are reading it. But uh, the percentage of votes in so far um, is not quite where I want it to be. So I'm trying to figure out the the intricacies of how to get it to work a little bit better. And um, also maybe a way to balance the show of hands vote, you know, this many for Collection A, this many for Collection B, with a few... um, critical judges who are um you know writers as well in whatever genre because that that might bring a little something to it as well
0: cool yeah i'd like to see more of this i think it's a unique idea that um i mean even if it's just kind of a fun for play kind of thing uh yeah it's nice to see it, it's just like yeah it's kind of a fun it feels very fun even if it is a little adversarial and maybe uh, hurts some feelings <laughs>
2: Well, it's, but I think I mean it, I, I will say because you get you asked me about the 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 impetus for it and the reason for it and I talked more about the literary thing with with the crime thing too. If there, the, I don't want to let to let out too much of the philosophy I'm exploring with it, but really writers are competing with each other all the time, whether they want to admit it or not, and i think so much of it is people don't want to share their little secrets people want to figure out how to edge things in and i see you see so many prizes around that writers will put on their cvs or put on the front of their books and i i don't even know what they are or who votes on them they've become sort of a a trinket sort of thing so i really like just having a contest that just laid it all out there we're having a contest this is how it works this is who's judging It's the same as anything else. I mean, and probably the winner would get more money than having their uh, work published in any journal. (laughs) And you'll get more readers during the the course of the contest. If uh, one of the ideas was everybody that wrote for it really tries to promote it, more eyes will come to it. So it's really everything everybody wants. Plus, it's sort of looking like the thing straight in the face that if you're going to be a career writer, which I'm not, or are even interested in that, you might as well get used to the fact that you're sort of trying to say that you're, you're a better writer than the next guy. <laughs> Every time you say, I won the X or Y or Z award, and you put that somewhere, you're saying, I'm better than somebody else. I won something. There's a reason that was prized that I won an award that suggests why you should pick up my book over somebody else's. And I think really just saying that and doing it and putting the money where the mouth is, as they say, um, it's good. It's good for everybody. We should all do that.
0: <laughs> well, one of the things that um, actually what you just said made me think of was uh, Livius and I, when we were originally talking about this contest in an earlier episode we did, we kind of like, you know, we're talking about it. And one of the things that I thought is if you did this straight up literary, my thought was a lot of people might not want to throw, because uh, like... People are always grooming their stuff to get into the best, you know, journals or anthologies, so that they'll advance their career. Like you're talking about CVs and stuff. Um, do you think that that's like a legitimate like uh, hesitation for people that they wouldn't want to throw one of their stories into something that doesn't really advance them, besides maybe putting a little money in their pocket?
2: Um, I think that that would be a reason some people probably wouldn't. Um, I don't think that it's. Uh, I'm not a career minded. Writer, so I I don't find that that I find that a little bit sad. Not the most legitimate reason (laughs) not to do something. I think that would be a a reason a lot of people wouldn't do it. But yeah, taking that right back to what I said, there's sort of a a a sadness in that. That's that's a I mean you can groom it and groom it, and as you say, I want to get into the best journal. Grooming it and grooming it isn't how you get into the best journal. And if anybody. Truly thinks that, I I think they're making a mistake. I'm not going to call them a bad word or anything. I just think they're making a mistake. <laughs> um, I that's not how it works. In fact, I think I've talked uh, candidly with uh Caleb. I will name names. There, we're friends, and it was a friendly conversation. That um, he did a blog post at one point talking about all of the rejection letters his early work got, and sort of thanking the rejection letters because his work wasn't ready in his eyes, as though that was how he interpreted what that meant. And I I, I, think that's a feeling that a lot of people have, a philosophy a lot of people put forward that I don't find to be the most sound. Um, because just because you get a rejection note from a journal doesn't mean they were even going to consider you to begin with, doesn't mean they thoroughly considered you, doesn't mean that you were denied based on the merit of the work or anything like that. It just means this sort of journal wasn't interested in you, that publisher didn't want you, so you can have a stack of a thousand quote-unquote rejection notes. It doesn't actually mean anybody out and out rejected your work. And then if you look into it also, if any one of those 700 people that rejected X author had accepted them, I'm sure they would have gone with it. and <laughs> Their philosophy would be entirely different after the fact. Um, so just because, uh, yeah, it's, it's the, I think there's an artificiality, and this goes back to my problem with flash fiction, in thinking that, oh, it didn't get into a journal, so I'll tinker with it, I'll toy with it some more. So say by the time the 10th journal you submitted to, you have tinkered with it 10 times and they accept you, it's illogical to assume that the tinkering is the reason they accepted you for all you know they would have accepted the first draft or the the first thing you you know, vomited out of your mind. Um you,
0: right, there's a whole it. list of reasons that someone that that a story might not be a good fit for something is what is what you're saying like besides just the
2: and and also yeah. um I mean if somebody liked um the edited version, I mean it's not like they saw the, the <laughs> version before it was edited, maybe they would have liked that too, you know. Um I mean, I've seen early drafts of uh, T.S. Eliot poems that I like better than the final drafts, but I like them both just as good
1: you've really put like a weird spin on that. I've been listening the whole time and thinking how depressing it is that somebody now (laughs) is sitting around tinkering with their story as we speak (laughs) and, and thinking about how much logic there is in what you just said and not having ever really submitted anything, you know, writing wise myself, you know, I'm thinking I would probably be the tinkerer before I sent it off. And now I think if I ever do submit anything, you may have saved me a whole lot of time.
2: Well, I would hope so. And, uh, as, as I think I touched on this also, I'm not trying to repeat the previous podcast, but I, I credit a little bit of that, that philosophy to, uh, to Camus in, in The Plague, the, uh, the writer who's dying of plague and he's just continually tinkering with his same sentence over and over again as though he could express the world in, in one sentence. And of course, by the time you read 50 different versions of the same sentence, none of them are any better, none of them are any worse. They all say the same thing.
0: I will say that, although I haven't really submitted money stories anywhere, I did submit a story to one place and got rejected, and um, my instinct, I don't know if this is going to be, you're going to line up with me on this one or not, but my instinct was, I've read like three or four of their issues, and this story was way better than the other stuff that was in there. (laughs) (laughs) That, that's my feeling about everything I do every day of my life. I, <laughs> I don't, uh,
2: I don't um, really... Every once in a while, I'll submit some stuff around, um, basically just for a lark. But I, I was putting out um, one of my free serialized literary books called VHS, and I got you know some very nice folks to give me just space on their blogs, but only after I submitted it around to uh, about 20, 30 journals that people recommended... And without fail, all of those people got back to me. It, you know, it wasn't for them. They didn't want it. It's no good. And until I was officially rejected by all of them. And I was like, well, screw you guys. Um, <laughs> I'll just ask my friend to put it on his blog. I don't really see the difference in the end. So,
1: And just so our listeners know that you talk from experience on uh, getting, <laughs> stuff sub- <laughs> well, and getting stuff submitted. Well, getting stuff submitted. There is there's, there's something enough. to be said here.
2: We don't want me to come off as just the guy standing out in front of Blockbuster Video uh, <laughs> where I used to work just screaming about local politics. That's true.
1: Tell us a bit about Kuboa Press.
2: Uh, is was the, the natural extension of the press that I did before, uh, Brown Paper Publishing, which is still technically running, but uh, stops in March, and um, that mechanism just sort of broke on me. And Kaboa gets back to just the spirit of um, literature for the sake of literature, which is what I was always about. Um, the ebooks are free because people should just be able to read the book if they want to read it. I'm not one for blurbs. I'm not one for synopsizing or teasing anybody into reading it. If they, they want to read it, they should read it. Um, the print books are all sold basically at cost. Um, because if somebody wants a physical book, they should always be able to have one. And I will talk directly to all e-publishers. Why don't you all have print options on your books? It's so mean when you don't. (laughs) It's not hard to set up a print option. Just set it up. Uh, Because I don't read e-books, really. But I'd read print books of some of you places if you would just do it. But um, it's just about having a place for what I consider art for art's sake, um, I don't know what the authors necessarily consider their books, but I consider it art for art's sake. And making it available to anybody that wants it. And uh, with Brown Paper Publishing, I set up a thing where I'd give away free print copies if uh, people would just agree to uh, review it. Positive, negative, ambivalent. But nobody ever got back. They'd take the books. And uh, uh. nobody would get back. Well, not nobody. Actually, there was about a 35% rate of people getting back. And... It wasn't even—it wasn't the loss of money so much. It was just disheartening that somebody would go out of their way to get a free book, especially when I say even if you hate it, just please let us know. And they wouldn't. Um, so I figured uh, we'll just take care of that with the free eBooks. And now you have to pay four dollars for a print book.
1: It's a very cool concept, and um, that's how we read um, uh, Chris Dwyer's book, which is how we initially came across Brown Paper.
2: Yeah, yeah, when October falls. I listened yep. to that podcast. That was very cool. I was very happy that you all read that. That is a great book. Um that's that those are, that's one of the times when I wish I was actually a more legit publisher and uh could do something for the book other than just make it available. Um I, I really wish more people would read that book. It's a excellent little uh cross genre piece. Um remind me very much of um early Jonathan Lethem. A little bit darker than early Jonathan Letham, but just had that great tone to it. I really love that work, and I'm not just saying that because I have published it.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I'll agree with that. I've I've read a handful of Lethem stuff, and yeah, I, that's a fair that's a fair comparison for sure.
2: Yeah, I don't like um I don't like Lethem anymore. There, I've said that. Don't edit that out. <laughs> Lethem, The Glasses is one of my favorite short stories ever written. It's genius, and I love your early work. And now I I just don't like your work. If you're listening. Jonathan,
1: take uh, that. Pablo, I, 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 hate, I hate to break this to you. I don't <laughs> think Jonathan Lethem listens to us. But if we get a note from him, we'll gladly pass it on to you.
2: Please do. Well, I don't know. He tries to keep his uh, indie cred, I think. I think he tries. So maybe he's listening.
0: I think I made, Livius, so I made you read one one of his books, right? As, As she, she Crawled Across the Table. Yeah, yes. yeah. All right. Make As sure. She
2: Climbed Across the Table. Yeah, I, I, I also consider that a masterpiece. I love that book he should write like that more often
1: <laughs> i i really enjoyed that one and i think we actually may have mentioned that when we were reviewing when october falls that it kind of reminded us but maybe i, I vaguely
2: I, I, think that you did actually yep. yeah about the uh sort of visual and colorful aspect in dwyer's writing
0: mm-hmm. yeah the
2: better i'm making that all up just to sound like i remembered what you said <laughs> it's also possible
0: well then we're all guilty because I'm, I'm going right along with you <laughs> okay um what what are you currently working on? Whether it's uh, like a writing project for yourself or, or with Kuboa or, or you know what's on your plates right now?
2: Oh, so much is on my plate. Well, Kuboa's gonna got about six new titles that are gonna be coming out by March if I ever get off my ass and finish that. And I also have to whip our cover designer, so I don't need to do just the uniform covers. They're all supposed to have uh, covers by this artist who's spectacular, but um, the person is not the quickest to get work done for me. Um to the person's uh credit they do have other actual work that they probably <laughs> be paid for uh but um we ex- every three months i say do you have any of those covers done and no so uh though we got about six titles coming out from um uh, you know just all different things and i uh, looking for to put a few more things out through the um offshoot of Cabot, which is called Pocket Full of Scoundrel, which only has a few titles out, and one of them is mine, because I I like to start different publishing houses, and just put my books out through them, makes me seem more more impressive, but uh, the main thing I'm working on right now is I'm doing a uh, a free poetry series, um, only in print, Um, it's just on newsprint, staple-bound folio editions, very small things. only released in print and only for free. Primarily my own work but um, every every few along into the series we have a guest poet do it. Um, we're going to have Corey Messler coming up to do it. My wife uh, did the second edition. And uh, then I'm working on a novel right now that I um, just started and I need to have done by the 23rd because I'm entering it into the uh, Amazon Breakthrough Novel Award Contest. So mm. I've got that fucker out. and i could go on i have a a, multiple interview series that i'm doing i have to re-release my old interview series predicate and blah 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 but lots of things oh actually here i do i do want to plug one thing i don't know when they're releasing it yet but a a band called bell they have something i believe it's only coming out on vinyl uh because they're hipsters uh, but the entire second <laughs> side of it is a spoken word piece, not spoken my, by me, but uh, a piece that I wrote called uh, 12 Vagrant Monologues from the Last Living Star, and um, that should be coming out sometime soon, and Belle Fleur is a wonderful band, so that was a very cool project to work on.
1: We wouldn't want you to go on mincing words either, so. <laughs> <laughs> Just giving you a hard time. That's Where where can people get more pablo de where's the hub that people can go to and find your stuff
2: yeah everybody asks me that my actual fetish is i don't have a hub and i usually start these sites and then when i get bored of them i take them down and then just put up a listing that says this site is you know currently being reworked if anybody ever comes across one of those it's never coming back <laughs> It, it it just was there for a while with my heart and soul. Um, but what I have going on right now, uh, blank verse dead dot wordpress dot com. That's the hub of the poetry series, and the interview series. Um, goes through that. That's the thing that I'm regularly working on now. But um, how to come across any of my books? Um, yeah, you can shoot me an email through there. But there there's no hub. I don't believe in hubs. <laughs>
0: Uh, anything else you'd like to mention or any other insults you'd like to hurl before we wrap this up?
2: I haven't been that bad with the insults. <laughs> actually pro- I should probably just just shoot off some random insults at people. Um, one thing that I really just do want to mention, and I hope you don't edit this part out, um, this contest is very genuine, though I know I come off as a prick and an asshole. Um, the other writers in it are absolutely fantastic uh, for participating And it's okay to vote even if you think you know who wrote what collection. Um, Do not disqualify yourself with that. I've had a a handful of emails come in from people saying that they would vote, but they know one of the writers that was in the other collection. Just be honest. I really don't care, or or conspire against me. Just get people reading and get people reading the sets and vote on it. It's okay if you know which one I did. It's okay if you know which one somebody else did. You could actually, if you sleuth it out, could figure it out, because a lot of the stories in the uh, Challenger collection were previously published and previously won awards. I think people pulled out some of their best work just to, you know, whip me, make me (laughs) feel like a, you know, just beaten down little asshole. So uh, vote, Uh, look into the contest and vote. It's really fun. The stories are great. Um, I think my stories are awesome. So you'll enjoy those.
1: (laughs) All right. Good, good deal. Pablo, thanks again for taking the time to come on and talk to us at Booked.
2: Yeah, no problem. It's my absolute pleasure.
1: Yeah, thanks again to Pablo for uh, coming on and sharing with us a little bit about his contest and just for bringing the contest to us in general. Just doing it has given us something that's uh, that's fun to talk about, too, other than just kind of our standard book review. So uh, don't forget to uh, check out the link on our page. Uh, Go to uh, Smashwords, download it. And remember, it's your right to
0: vote. Yeah, great time having Pablo on. We'll make sure that we uh, throw those links up to you, and we're going to plaster it all over Facebook. And we might even uh, reanimate our uh, our Twitter feed to to try and get
1: the word out a little bit that way too. <laughs> I'm going to totally ignore that. Hey, Rob, do you know what device, um, what other device you can get the uh, the, the Pablo stare challenge on? Um, how about the Nook? The Nook. If only anybody would have ever bought a Nook, you'd be able to read it on there.
0: <laughs> well, the rumor around on the internet is that Barnes & Noble is discontinuing the Nook.
1: Do you have anything to say? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, Barnes & Noble, man, apparently, um, slumped fourth quarter sales have, uh, they've really taken a hit, you know, their big deal was they were gonna, you know, bring the Nook to the forefront and have, uh, kiosks and their stores and everything else and um the release of the kindle touch man i think that just uh just kicked the ass of, of the nook folk
0: um yeah and <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody's keeping score but every time we talk about readers it seems like we're just dead wrong because uh oh, we when we first talked about kindle fire i was like i don't know what barnes and noble gonna do about this they got nothing And then they came out with the Nook tablet, and I'm like, all right, well, actually, this seems like it's a big competitor. And now it's like they're, you know, Barnes & Noble's in a lot of financial trouble, so, like, maybe they're not a competitor anymore. It seems like no matter what, you know, kind of grasp we try to get on this, you know, it it changes so fast, I
1: guess, you know. Things change just by daily. Yeah, and it's not, I don't. Man, see, I don't even know how, how the whole industry works, but my understanding is that the Kindle is pretty much sold at around the cost it is to manufacture it, and that the real money comes from um, selling books, selling Kindle books. So I'm guessing the Nook being priced similarly probably comes around to the same thing, but apparently the Nook is only about 25% of the market share of e-books.
0: And I have to wonder what the rest of the market share is. Obviously, Amazon's got a big chunk, but... I mean, uh, the iPad more and more, even though we don't really talk about it, is one of the most legitimate, you know, readers that exist. And I wonder how much of the market they're taking.
1: It's interesting because I didn't really think about it that way. Where do you buy it? Okay, this is going to sound silly. Do you buy do you buy books from the um, from iTunes? Is that where you buy books if you're in iOS? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is that do they have books on there, or do you have to go to a different or just Smashwords, or where do you get your your material? Um. Apple has
0: um, the app iBooks, which is where you're, you know, it's kind of like your bookshelf. And it also has a link to the iBooks store. So it's it's really an extension of iTunes, but it's
1: not in that app. It's in the iBooks app. Yeah. All right, I got Because I, I know, I mean, I didn't think, I, I know you can get, you know, you can obviously buy Kindle. Oh, um, well, you know, there's the whole thing. You know, iPad, you can still buy from Kindle, or you can buy from Amazon. Yeah, which,
0: you know, is not a bad idea for Amazon because... Even if you choose to use the iPad, you can still
1: they can still make money off of it. So I yeah, no, I read somewhere there's like a like a six or five percent markup on the Kindle itself, and that was with the Kindle keyboard. So I don't know if that number's gone up or down with the advent of the Touch and now the standard Kindle. But um, they're not making any money on the hardware. It's all about service after the fact. So
0: yeah, and I mean they just really have time is on their side. Amazon's been around and they've been in this digital realm for longer than Barnes and Noble and. Um, they've got so much more established, like, uh, you know, that whole, just the whole existence of the Kindle, the Amazon Prime account, and the fact that, you know, they give you a 30-day trial of it kind of hooks a lot of people in, I'm assuming, to ending up buying a full year membership for 80 bucks, and those types of things are just, you know, heaping on money, and Barnes & Noble doesn't
1: have something like that to use as competition. You know what else Barnes & Noble doesn't have? They don't have us plugging their products. We're <laughs> Kindle, 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 Kindle.
0: Hey, you know what, though? Barnes & Noble, I know you're listening. We can save you. Books can save you. Livius came up with a great
1: offer. <laughs> here's, here's what you need to do. We're still going to use our Kindles to read books, but <laughs> if if you send us... Um, a couple of those uh, of those Nook tablets, not the color that nobody wants, but the actual tablet, the new one. <laughs> we will make Barnes & Noble and Nook the exclusive reader of the book podcast. We won't mention Kindle anymore at all, ever, ever, right. ever. Man. And in addition, we'd also like a spot on like, maybe your editorial page. It doesn't have to be on the front page, but just a link to our, like if we could be the official podcast of Barnes & Noble, um, we'd help you guys turn this thing around, get you at least up to like a 26% market share.
0: Yeah, and really any percent at this point is just going to help. I mean, and imagine the the amount of confidence that it'll give these stockholders and and investors who are are fleeing from Barnes & Noble if they're like,
1: we have an official media resource that's backing our play.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, our other option was either to make this offer to Barnes & Noble or to pool (laughs) together our resources and see if we could buy the Nook division from them. But um, (laughs) let's face it, we have better things to spend our money on yeah that's
0: true <laughs> that's true it is true so, so and Barnes & have- Noble it's out there Mr. Barnes and Mr. Noble <laughs> oh man where did this, where did we go wrong I know I love derailing things by just assuming that the names of companies are the actual names of people that are in charge of them
1: but there you go. So, um, I mean, here's the whole thing. I believe they'll still continue to sell books even if they, I mean, they're they looking to sell off that division, the Nook division. So I don't think you won't be able to get books anymore. And quite honestly, um, the uh, the Nook reads EPUBs, which is the same format that, um, that uh, uh, ugh, iOS um, reads, which <laughs> we just talked about. So you'll still be able to get those. I mean, you can get them from Sony's reader store or whatever. So even if they decide to stop doing it altogether, you won't have to turn your nook into a paperweight just yet there's still resources for you to be able to get that including um smash so that's right and hey you
0: know what i just made a connection in my mind you know who did a commercial for these nook tablets james patterson yeah yeah james patterson i don't know how his uh <laughs> i don't know how <laughs> i don't know how <laughs> i can't even say it with a straight face God damn it! I don't know how his uh, how his commercial didn't save the Nook Tablet all on its own.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just think of what uh, what this next segment brings to our show the the you know tens of listeners that flock to us for Patterson Watch.
0: Patterson Watch. What time is it? It's Patterson Watch time. Check your <laughs> check your
1: Patterson Watch and see what. Uh, yeah, damn it. Yeah, we can't. We keep trying. We can't come up with anything. So, you guys have any fun play on words with Patterson Watch and time? shoot us an email. We'll use it in our next Patterson watch. Because it's there, because a
0: watch is a thing that tells you time, but we just can't figure out the clever way to like make it funny and memorable. That's right.
1: So. Anyway, fresh off the presses here, um, just a few days ago, James Patterson and Maxine Petro um, came out with private number one suspect. Um, Maxine Petro, of course, being the author in really little letters at the bottom of the, of the cover there. <laughs> And I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and read you the uh, synopsis from, uh, from Amazon because the Nook people haven't gotten back to us yet. So, Since former Marine Jack Morgan started Private, it has become the world's most effective investigation firm, sought out by the famous and the powerful to discreetly handle their most intimate problems. Private's investigators are the smartest, the fastest, and the most technologically advanced in the world, and they always uncover the truth.
0: I'm just going to drop one Q84 abandon it and run out and get that James Patterson book it sounds
1: gripping is the only word I can think of here's the problem we're not doing this one because it's not the first private one or we would be reviewing this book this is I think the second or third in the private series sounds kind of like erotic fiction I might be wrong on that too because this is private games and that's uh, James Patterson and Mark Sullivan Uh, maybe we do need to review this book (laughs) that might be our next book You mentioned uh, 1Q84. Would you like to expand on on how that's
0: going? Um, All right. So for all of our avid listeners who come back week after week, I think that we've been promising to uh, give you a review of 1Q84 since um, the mid-'90s, and it's going slower than we expected. Uh, We experienced a similar situation when we were reading... um, uh, What's that, David Foster? The Pale King (laughs) by David Foster Wallace. uh, Where, you know, typically Livius and I read a lot, and we're used to reading a book. You know, we can knock a book out in, you know, a sitting or two easily. And The Pale King, I know, it ended up taking us... I think The Pale King was the reason that we did our first interlude episode, was because we needed to uh, push back our, our timeline a little bit. And we're kind of in the same situation for 1Q84. So next... Week without fail, uh, as long as you know the apocalypse doesn't come early, we will be talking about 1Q84. Dude,
1: I don't even see the same situation. That was so much easier to read
0: than this, (laughs) and that's saying something because Livius I don't know if anybody remembers this from the previous episode where we told about (laughs) (laughs) our lowest ratings, but Livius gave it a one star. So, um, if this is harder to read, it's gonna be. We're going to be fulfilling our promise of being harsher on books in 2012. I believe. Here's
1: the thing: it's not a bad story. I have just I don't remember the last time I was this reluctant to pick up a book. I find <laughs> things to do that are like ridiculous. Like if anybody knows me like well enough personally, I think things like maybe I should get my oil changed today instead <laughs> of read. That's I don't I don't ever change my oil. It changes itself. A couple of quarts leak out. I put some more in. I haven't had an oil change in like fifty thousand miles, but still. <laughs> Like, I would rather do that than pick up this book. And it's not bad. I just don't know. There's something about it that, that just isn't... Yeah. There should be.
0: It's a phenom- It's something that's happened before. Like, there's been books that I've been interested in, but, like, I just can't be bothered to pick it up and, and continue reading it. And there, so there. we should come up with a name for that because I've definitely had that happen to me before. we we'll call them 1Q84 is what we're going to call it.
1: <laughs> so. We're about to 1Q86 this book. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so... Yeah, so finished or not, we're going to be reviewing this book. I I know I will have it done for our next episode. Rob, on the other hand, he's a little behind. Not really sure where he's going to come in with that. Yeah.
0: Well, luckily, you know, I do have a couple of days off coming up, and I'm probably going to... The problem is I've been very distracted in my house lately. I haven't, you know, been able to buckle down and read when I'm at home, and I don't go out a lot, so um, I'm going to actually just, you know, chain myself to the wall at Starbucks or something and get through as much as I can. Run the battery down on my reader a couple
1: times (laughs) which is that going to be
0: who knows you might be reading on a Nook tablet any day now I know and that's why I kind of did that pause so I could go back and like re-record and say Nook tablet if I you know once I check the mail tomorrow and I get a couple Nook tablets
1: from Mr. Barnes to Mr. (laughs) Olson (laughs) that's right so while we wait for our Nook tablets to arrive, um, we're still working on getting together our first of our Intro 2 episodes. Um, we're hopefully going to do some work on the planning stages of that this week, um, but we're going to throw it out there again in case you missed our last episode. Um, we plan on doing a series of episodes um, that we don't have a proper name for yet, but uh, we're calling them um, internally Intro 2 Episodes where we bring on a guest who is proficient in a um, lesser-read genre, and that's going to help us learn about that genre, and then we're going to review a book from it or something along those lines. We're still kind of working out details. So if you have a level of proficiency at a particular genre, um, currently we really, really want to do steampunk. So if you know somebody who writes steampunk or who's a huge fan um push him in our direction. We'd love to talk to him about it. And uh who knows, maybe the three of us will read a steampunk book and uh and get some reading done. But yeah, any other genre. Um we're already committed to doing a bizarro episode, which I'm very excited about. Um but yeah, definitely. So steampunk, um weird western, uh I don't know, um, ghost romance, whatever. <laughs> so if you have any level of proficiency and wanna be on the show or point us in the right direction or you have a genre you want to suggest just hit us up on facebook or shoot us an email bookpodcast at gmail.com yeah and the key element of these
0: episodes um at least in my vision of it is we want to learn more about these for ourselves but we also want to have it presented in a way where if you don't know anything about it you know you're getting the basics on what the feel of the genre is but then also by reviewing um, a book or, you know, short stories or whatever it ends up being, you know, we could get you started with something as well, like something that you could pick up and get rolling with too. So um, I'm very excited about it. I I wish we were recording those right now. Um, So like Livia said, just reach out to us either if you've got some hookups for someone in a genre or if you're just, you know, you've been curious about something, um, we'll see what we
1: can do for it. I'm just going to go out on a limb right now and say we're not going to do Japanese fantasy authors. So if that's uh, if you want us to read some more Haruki Murakami, you can just forget it.
0: Most likely not going to do that. Yeah. What we are going to do <laughs> is uh we're just, we have these great segues tonight. <laughs> what we are going to do as much as possible is uh, sell you some great merchandise. So like we mentioned in a previous episode, and I think we posted on Facebook and uh on the front page of the website is uh, we've got t-shirts and they're available and they're for sale. Uh, we've had some people say, Hey, I really want one, but they didn't do it in a way that makes us think that they actually want to give us money and then have us send them to them. So here's what we'd like you to do for the time being until we come up with a better solution. If you want a booked t-shirt, first of all, you can check out what they look like on bookpodcast.com. We get it right up in the front. Um, I think we've also got a picture on our Facebook page. If you really want to get one of those, it's up to you to approach us uh, and send us an email, bookpodcast at gmail.com. Say, hey, this is my shirt size. Um, and and then we'll, uh, we'll work out like a PayPal or something like that. Give me your shirt size and your address. I'll get back to you and say, here, you can PayPal us the $15 to this account or whatever. And then I will ship you a shirt um, and you will wear it and be a walking billboard for Booked.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been wearing the same shirt now for three days in case anyone wanted one of the pre-worn ones that we promised <laughs> would be available. So, um, so I mean, this one's ready to go, guys. I mean, really ready to go. And uh, I will take it off my back. I will hand it to Rob, and he'll just make faces at it, but he'll put it in a box and send it to you.
0: And again, not theater of the mind or anything. I'm actually wearing—I <laughs> don't know why it is—but I'm wearing one again right now as we record this, and I—I I love it. It's a uh, uh, one thing I would say: Fruit of the Loom sizes, if you they happen to be printed on Fruit of the Loom shirts. So if you if you know if you got a shirt like that and you know what size you get in that, I've noticed they're running a little bit small. So. If you're um uh, if you're on the <laughs> if you're on the snug side of one size I would suggest maybe telling me one size bigger just to make sure that you're not walking around like a little sausage or something like that um, but yeah they're great shirts I love them and they look really cool so uh it once more email bookedpodcast at gmail. com absolutely tell me what shirt size you want and give me an address. I will personally respond to you Rob will personally respond to you and say hey give me some money. And then you'll give me the money and I will literally send you a shirt in the mail. <laughs> I don't know if I could spell it out any clearer than that.
1: <laughs> it's, but... Guys, that's exactly what our business plan looks like for the shirts, too. <laughs> that's exactly, it says, Rob will personally respond. Rob will tell you where to send the money. <laughs> um, and then just to mention, in case we have four chicks really dig the shirts. Just FYI. They do. because who? I mean,
0: first of all, who has cool book, you know, shirts? And you know, second of all, they're they're booked. I got nothing. <laughs> oh God, hooked! I'm booked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be the hoodie. Are you hooked?
1: This is going really badly. Yeah. it's time. It's time, it's time to cut this off. So. We gotta wrap it up. Um, hey, I did have one more thing to mention, and um, uh, we're gonna uh have a link to this also somewhere keep promising links and i know rob grimaces every time i do it um we mentioned during our last episode that we didn't have a lot of stuff to point you in the direction of of malaz corbier and his writing well over the last um, week or two um, a couple of things have popped up so he's on uh, manarchy magazine um, which just launched uh, the first of the year he has a story on there that you can read alongside um, stories by palavia and richard thomas and a bunch of other great articles and a slightly older story, The King of Stone, that's over at Troubadour21. Um, and you can get all of that at Red Puffin Tobacco um, with a bunch of dashes and stuff in it. So just Google it, but that's his personal blog. But uh, definitely you want to check out just another Dr. Sunshine patient, Manarchy Magazine. It's a great story.
0: Yeah, great. And not a, not a big time commitment. Again, it's a pretty short story, but it's uh, I, lo- I just love the way Malaz writes. I think it's great. It's, it's autobiographical. <laughs> um. Yeah, and Manarchy Magazine itself, check it out. There's um, some, some names that we're familiar with that have contributed to it. Uh, I know, oddly, it's called Manarchy, but I, both, I think, Amanda Gowan and Pelevia have something in there. And then, uh, uh, who else? Richard Thomas, we said Malaz Corbiere. Yeah, a
1: lot of people are involved, even ones who don't currently have stories up. You'll be seeing a lot of Booked alum, um popping up on um, on that magazine. And it's, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's supposed to be a magazine for men, and there are some interesting Hold on a second I'm being arrested. <laughs> That's totally staying in. Yeah. Um, some interesting some interesting stuff to be read there. Are lots
0: of interesting articles. Like how to skin a cat. Yeah, and it's people stepping outside of uh of the fiction role and kinda of going into just writing articles and other stuff too. So it's it's cool to see some of the people we've talked about in a different light. It's uh it's cool. Check it out. We'll we'll link to it on the on the book podcast website. Very cool. I don't think we so- could
1: possibly plug anything else. Now, let's plug our next episode. One Q Eight Four coming for you guys. We're gonna we're gonna get through this thing if it kills us.
0: <laughs> you know what would be really? <laughs> I shouldn't say this on the air. We should just do this. We should just make up an entire story and pretend that that's what One Q Eighty Four was. Because <laughs> nobody else is. And just do a review with that made up stuff and see if anybody calls us out on it.
1: Oh god, that's kind of funny.
0: Isn't that brilliant? All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this week. I just want to once more point people in the direction of the uh, Out of Bullets Throw the Gun uh, crime noir flash fiction challenge that Pablo's that Pablo De Stare uh, has going on. We'll throw links pretty much everywhere. We'll probably find ways to like you know write links on your skin while you're sleeping. Uh, and then um, also, yeah, get in touch with us if you want booked T-shirts because we absolutely definitely want you to have them. Yes, the one right off my back. Literally, the one off of Livius's back, and who wouldn't want? <laughs> Damn it, he's practically a vampire. Who wouldn't want? Who wouldn't want a shirt off of
1: Livius's back? That's true. So, anyway, don't forget. Check us out on Stitcher, iTunes, on the website. Email us bookpodcast at gmail dot com. Facebook, Twitter. Uh, uh, we have Google Plus. No one ever uses it, but we have that too. It's like Zoom Marketplace. Hey, thank you to the one person that downloaded something from Zune. We actually went in and looked and saw that there were two, two downloads from Zune recently. So whoever you are, Zune listener, thank you. <laughs> Unless you downloaded it on accident, you'll never hear us
0: thanking you. That's true. So, at any rate, <laughs> that's it. That's it for this week. I'm Livia Stetton. I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.
1: I've been trying move so long.